Good morning. Uh, my name is Jordan Anderson. I am one of the lay elders here at uh, Hope Community Church, Columbia Heights. We are a church uh, that has three locations, one here in Columbia Heights, one that meets in Lower Town St. Paul, uh, and then one that meets in downtown uh, Minneapolis. Uh, a lot of you have maybe seen me before, uh, but if you have and I'm up on stage, I'm usually over there, um, playing and leading and uh, singing. Uh, so a bit of a switcheroo. Uh, for those that I haven't met or don't know me super well, uh, today's message is going to be really helpful in that regard. Uh, we are in a series right now. Oh, we're going to do it. There we go. Uh, called just uh, Not Just Another Story. We've been working through different uh, stories, uh, narratives throughout the Bible, many of them parables that have been taught by Jesus, and seeing how they fit into the ultimate story of God's redemption, uh, redemptive plan for his people, uh, brought about by Jesus uh, in his sacrifice, the kingdom realities that are then brought forth as a result of that, uh, culminating in the hope that everything will one day be restored. Uh, We've been looking at stories, how they all fit into that grander story. Uh, but also many of us have our own stories and how our own stories interact and have been impacted and influenced by God's story of redemption, myself included. And as luck and foresight would have it, we are taking the last three weeks of the summer to allow our lay elders uh, to share more about who we are. Uh, Drew gets a bit of a break here coming into the fall. Uh, we highly value all of you feeling like you, you know us a little bit more just beyond uh, somebody talking on stage. So Aaron Robertson uh, went last week. Uh, I'm up for this week, and then Jared Severson is next week. So let's get into it. Who is Jordan Anderson? Nobody really knows. Nope. Uh, that's both a simple and complex question, as I'm sure uh, it is for a lot of people. So here goes. This is a random, but not necessarily in any specific order, spattering of who I consider myself to be. Uh, I'm a husband to, to Emily. I'm a father to uh, uh, Kenna is the, the short hair. Ellie's in the red. Uh, I'm a woodworker. Uh, I'm an avid do-it-yourself home remodeler. Um, I love being outdoors. Uh, I, I love fishing, hiking, camping, things like that. Um, I was actually just most recently in northern Minnesota uh, hiking a section of the Superior Hiking Trail. Um, as much as I love that kind of, this trip humbled me. Um, and we will get into that later. Uh, if I could describe to you a good day, uh, in my book, I had anything that I could do. Um, I, I love having a chainsaw in my hand. Uh, it doesn't happen very often, but I love it. Uh, nonetheless, clearing land and trees. Um, in case anyone's wondering, my favorite animal is the polar bear. My second favorite animal is the beaver. My third favorite animal is the moose in that order. So, I know, right? Right? Um, I haven't been fully shaven since high school, uh, but that also has meant that my facial hair has had its own different expressions, including in college, the one where it started up here, came over across the mustache, and then back down. Um, my friends and I called it the slip and slide. Um, so, so that's fun. Uh, one of the more random skills that I've developed uh, in my 39 years of life is I have helped close to about 40 guys uh, pick out and help purchase engagement rings. I apparently know a lot about engagement rings, and so I help guys do that. Uh, an additional weird but somewhat useful skill is that I've been known to get paid to host professional wine tastings. I, I know, I don't know what to make of me either. Um, I grew up in Wisconsin. 
uh, heavily involved in the scouting programs uh, through the Boy Scouts of America back then, attaining the rank of Eagle Scout by the time I was 14, which is a humble brag that only exists in that small subculture of scouting. Um, there I am. That was, that was college, guys. That was, whew, that was also college. Um, so, I, I grew up in a family that attended a Lutheran church uh, in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, uh, but the church uh, wasn't super vibrant. Um, and I wasn't, even to this day, I'm not necessarily convinced that it ever really taught me the good news of Jesus. Uh, but what it did was allow for a curiosity of God to kind of develop uh, in my heart. Uh, I didn't really start considering faith, uh, what faith looked like in Jesus, until I got invited to a different church while I was in high school. Um, and they had a really vibrant, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, fun youth group. Uh, so uh, I attended and graduated the University of Wisconsin-Madison Go Bucky, go Badgers, um, simply because my calculus teacher told me that it was a good school to become an engineer. I am not an engineer. However, uh, I did start off as a mechanical engineering major. Um, didn't like that so much, so ended up becoming a vocal performance and music education major, and then became an abnormal psychology major and then went into criminology and eventually graduated with a sociology degree. And my first job out of college was in finance. Uh, so uh, I am and have been told that I'm a jack of many trades, a master of an unlikely few. Um, I've had a lot of different jobs throughout my uh, tenured life. Uh, but speaking of jobs, I'm currently employed at Hope. Um, that's what I looked like about a year ago. And then you guys have seen these photos, but I was, it was requested that they come back. Um, that was my Mighty Ducks, like everything's awkward middle school years. And then that is my professional modeling career all the way on the far side um, for Sears and JCPenney. So um, anyway, uh, I'm currently employed here at Hope, uh, though I primarily work for our downtown location. I'm the building manager down there. Uh, I've been doing that for close to 10 years. Uh, but I also work with our small group staff team uh, alongside uh, Natty and, if you've met, uh, Kaylin and uh, Sarah um, and Kelly Zoki as well. So uh, my story... Uh, like many others, is also full of pain and heartache and some not-so-good stuff, just sickness and uh, struggles. I struggled immensely in middle school and high school with different insecurities. Uh, I was diagnosed in college with depression. And similar to Aaron's story last week, uh, mental health struggles have been a fairly consistent banner that has waved over my life uh, ever since. I've struggled with a host of personal medical issues. Some are still resolved, uh, unresolved to this day. Uh, Emily and I have been married for uh, 14 plus years, and some of the highest highs and lowest lows uh, have experienced just even during that time, not because of her. <laughs> it's not her fault, okay? But just, just in general, there's been a lot of highs, a lot of lows. Um, my story has been one in which I'm often reminded that we live in a fallen and broken world. Uh, but I personally also tend towards pessimism, okay? On the scale of pessimism to op optimism, I'd like to call it realism, um, which means that I'm often challenged to, to lift my eyes to, to see God's goodness and provision uh, in the midst of hard things. Uh, and for the last five years, as we're kind of getting into the meat and potatoes of today's message, I committed to learning more about God's grace as it relates to being sustained through the difficult times of life. Uh, my starting point, uh, and I think the, the challenge for 
uh, for me is I had a fairly decent understanding of, of God's grace as it relates to salvation. Uh, I think uh, I had a fairly robust understanding that is, uh, is by grace that, that we have been saved, is by grace that I have been saved, uh, that I'm a sinner, we're sinners, we all deserve punishment, uh, but it, God who is rich in mercy sent his son to die in our place. That is by grace that we have been saved through faith. This is not from ourselves, a free gift of God. Uh, this free gift of salvation, this grace is available to anyone to receive it, say thanks, say yes. How do I then interact with God's grace after that? What is, what is reliance on God's grace in my daily life look like after that? To get us started, uh, uh, I figured it'd be helpful to do a de defining of terms. Uh, God's grace is his unmerited favor and divine assistance or provision. Again, we can easily see this in salvation. We don't deserve the free gift of salvation. It was uh, bought by, by Christ's sacrifice, but he's a provided a way to, to be redeemed. Grace also means, though, that we can't do anything to earn God's favor. We can't, we can't earn anything. Uh, it's, it's getting something positive often, okay? Positive that we, we don't deserve. If, if we did offer something, if we did play any part in that formula or equation, it would cease to be grace. That would be a, that would be a transaction. Uh, grace, rather, is the unmerited favor. We didn't do anything. We offer nothing except to receive it and say, say thanks. Mercy, uh, just so uh, we're all on the same page, is also in play because I think mercy and grace get, get used a lot interchangeably. Um, but this was really helpful for me when, when I learned uh, some of the kind of the, the tweaked differences. Mercy is not getting something, negative punishment, that we do deserve. Uh, the Bible is clear. Again, we're fallen creatures. We're full of sin. We invent ways of doing evil. We deserve punishment. But God, who is rich in mercy, says no. We deserve it, but in his mercy, he says no. And in his grace, we get an abundance of what we don't deserve. So kind of see the differences? Head nods, maybe? Okay, cool. Okay, so for starters, it's a great reminder, no matter how often we hear it, God's grace is sufficient for salvation. My contention for this morning, though, is God's grace is also sufficient for helping us live out our daily lives. Even after the acceptance of salvation, what does grace look like in reliance at that point? Uh, there's a lot of uh, passages that kind of point to this dynamic. I'll throw this one up as a primer. Uh, this uh, Titus 2, 11 through 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation, sufficient for salvation, has appeared to all men. It, grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives. See the immediate, just like we're going to go right into what does it look like to live a godly life? It looks like relying on God's grace. It teaches us present tense to say no to ungodliness. Okay, so this is, this is kind of what I want to talk about more or less. Um, the interaction of God's grace in our daily lives. Uh, I want to make this caveat first, though. I still feel like I'm still at the beginning part of this journey in understanding this, this dynamic. Uh, I am indebted to Jerry Bridges. Uh, he's an author and pastor. Uh, he wrote at least these three books related to this topic. Uh, the pursuit, And uh, it actually is meant to be read in this order. The Pursuit of Holiness, Transforming Grace, and then The Discipline of Grace. Uh, Really indebted uh, to this guy. Highly recommend uh, any believer uh, read these. Um, so, 
With that, I'd like to look at the story. Remember, we're still talking about stories. I'd like to look at the story of Elijah this morning. How does Elijah's story fit in the greater story of God's grace? Uh, Specifically as it relates to perseverance. This is a really, really big topic. I want to kind of hone in on the relationship between God's grace and perseverance, working through the hard things of life. Uh, We're going to be in 1 Kings. Uh, We're going to cover three chapters of 1 Kings today, 17, 18, and 19. Uh, Before we get there for context, Elijah was a prophet. Uh, He was a messenger from God. Uh, During the time after, after, after King David, King David, King Solomon, okay, so after those two, but before the kingdoms of Israel went into exile. Last week, Aaron touched on the prophet Ezekiel, okay? So we're not quite to Ezekiel. We're sometime after King David and King Solomon, but not yet to to exile. Uh, The kings of Israel at that time, many of them were not so awesome. Um, In fact, uh, many of them don't have a lot written about them aside from like a sentence or two uh, that they either, okay, their whole life, they either did what was right in the eyes of the Lord or they did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Which for a quick moment of application, imagine having your entire life written down in a sentence or two and all that it says is like, you did right in the eyes of the Lord or you did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for covering that for us, right? Okay. Anyways, the current king during Elijah's time, uh, Ahab, was not so awesome. He was one of the kings that uh, wasn't necessarily pursuing the good things of God. Uh, He had aligned himself with a foreign king, and had ended up marrying the king's daughter, Jezebel. Uh, And as a result, the Israelites started worshiping uh, a false god, worshiping Baal. Elijah was sent by God to communicate, not only to to King Ahab, but to, to everyone else. This isn't good. This isn't right. Worship alone belongs to God. Uh, And as such, there's going to be some consequences that are going to flow forth uh, because of of your worshiping of of this Baal. Uh, That's our context. As I mentioned, we're going to be working through uh, 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19. Uh, We're not going to read all of it. There's a lot here. And I'll say this, sorry, I would highly commend... Uh, these chapters to you to to read on your own time. Um, what I'm going to do quick is just kind of reference just some high points in Elijah's story. Uh, starting in verse one, uh, Elijah, but really God through Elijah, okay? Elijah causes it to stop raining uh, in the land for three years. Kind of a big moment. Uh, just uh, a few verses later in verse 6, Elijah gets fed by ravens, uh, hence why that picture looks the way that it does. He gets fed by ravens, uh, meat and bread morning and evening, which is ha- has some really fun undertones of the whole like manna from heaven for the Israelites while they were wandering in the desert. Uh, some cool stuff there. We don't have time. Uh, In verse 14, Elijah witnesses a jar of flour and a jug of oil not run out. Remember, it's not raining on the land. um, And so, forgot to go. There we go. Okay. Uh, So there's famine. There's not enough food. And and Elijah witnesses uh, food not run out. So a miracle. In verse 22, Elijah takes part and witnesses the resurrection of, of a boy. Um, that's pretty cool. It's kind of a high point, I'm sure. Uh, jumping into chapter 18, uh, Elijah is, uh, has now reconfronted Ahab and he's going to take part in kind of this, this royal rumble, 
uh, on a spiritual sense between Baal worshipers and God. And because of lack of rain, again, we're, uh, we're still in, uh, in the drought and uh, famine, people were kind of scrambling. They're trying to figure out how do we get this to stop? Which God should we worship so that they will look down on us uh, with, with favor? And so uh, Elijah proposes, let's have two altars set up, okay? Uh, I'm gonna be over here. Baal worshipers, you're gonna be over here. We're gonna have, we're gonna have two bulls, okay? One on each. And Baal worshipers, you do your thing and I'm gonna do my thing. And whichever God like brings down fire onto that altar, that's the true God that should be worshiped. Okay, and so there's 400, 450, 450 Baal worshipers that like have built their altar and they're, they're trying to, to cry out uh, to Baal. It's like, yeah, you know, light this on fire uh, and nothing's happening, not surprising, uh, but <clears throat> really fun. And this is, man, this is why sometimes the Bible just feels so real. Um, Elijah just go, goes full sass on that, like verse 27. At noon, so they've been working now for a while. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God, Baal. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Like this, man, Elijah is just full sass right now, right? Okay, uh, nothing happens, okay? As a result, Elijah finally prays to God and in a wild, miraculous moment, the Lord sends fire from heaven, burns up the bull. Uh, this was after uh, Elijah's altar had been doused in water. And it's just a massive show of power and provision Immediately after that, uh, they realize, you know, verse 39, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And then after that, verse 44, down at the bottom, the servant, uh, the seventh time the servant reported, uh, the, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. So now he's, he's sassy towards the king, okay? Because now rain is returning. God is, God is proving powerful. 46, the power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. So now Ab uh, Elijah is, is running away. But not, not before God is on display. His power, his provision is on display, which is where we pick it up, chapter 19. And I do want to read this. Okay. So 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, 1 through 18. Now Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, foreign king's daughter, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Notice Ahab didn't tell about the altar burning up, fire coming down from heaven, the rain returning. Okay. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. So he's running away. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. 
So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Elijah is just despondent at this point. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, same reply as before. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel, and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahaloah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. I'd like to offer some observations uh, specifically related to, to chapter 19 in regards to God's grace and perseverance. Uh, the first one, though, which is more of kind of an overarching understanding, when we're discussing perseverance or even uh, pondering our own perseverance, it can be very tempting to focus on the person who is persevering, focus on me. I know I do this. Okay? rather than on God. And, th and that, that's my whole message, is to, to, <laughs> to focus on God rather than ourselves. Because we likely ask questions. I ask questions. Why is this happening to me? Why, 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 is, why is this thing troubling me so, so much? What do I need to do to get out of it? What prayer do I need to say? What thing can I do to invoke a positive response from God? And this hit, hit me really hard because that kind of thinking looks more like the Baal worshipers. When they were flailing themselves and causing themselves to bleed, to try to get Baal to answer them. Rather, my contention is, instead of focusing on, on what we can do to earn God's favor, this whole concept of grace is it's unmerited favor. We don't offer anything. God just gives it to us by his own provision and because he loves us. So when it comes to the topic of perseverance, we need to start with God, his character, his characteristics, and how he is the primary agent in perseverance, not us. So first thing, uh, God is powerful and resourceful to meet our every need. He is persistent to make sure that his will is accomplished. Uh, back at... Uh, the end, or 15 and on, he is turning over entire kingdoms to make sure that his will is brought forth. But also, if we back up one more, for Elijah, he, he's, just, he's done, and he wakes up, and there's bread baked over hot coals. 
It's like we serve a God that has created everything and, and everything is at his disposal. He is so powerful. He can turn kingdoms upside down and he can bake bread for us. Okay. Number two, God loves and cares and knows, knows us intimately. His wisdom is often on display because he knows us so intimately and he knows the situation way, way more than we could ever understand. If we, if we pick if we pick one of, one of these characters, God is love. <clears throat> God is loving. Uh, I often say this when I'm uh, officiating weddings, but I thought this was, um, well, fits here, uh, that God is the definition and culmination of love. Uh, some things are loved because they have valuable uh, or value or inherent worth, like gold or money, okay? But other things are valuable simply because they are loved. And I firmly believe that's what the, our relationship with God looks like. We are valued. We have value because we are loved by our creator, God. God shows us that love is not based on the performance of the object, but rather the character of the lover. I'll say that again. God shows us that his love is possible and based on the performance of the person, not on, or sorry, scratch that. God is showing us that his love is uh, not based on the performance of the person, but on the character of the lover. Elijah being cared for is not based on what Elijah did or didn't do. He was in need and God looked down on him and had compassion and provided for his needs. Uh, number three, God's power is on display more when we are weak. Elijah, despite having some enormous, like ministerial wins, I mean, he's seen miracle after miracle after miracle, and he is an instrument of the Lord, and he is done. I, he, he said, I just want to die. I'm just done. And in that weakness, God shows up all the more. God isn't daunted when we fail, okay? When we're ready to tap out, when we've given everything that we have. In fact, there seems to be an inverse relationship that the more that we are weak, the more God shows up. And this is, this is true for the Apostle Paul's story as well. He says this in a letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church. Even if I should choose to boast... I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Saying, I could boast, but I'm not going to. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In our weakness, the Lord is proven to be gracious, to provide for us. His power is made perfect in weakness. And this is really, really key. Not after our weaknesses have run their course. Not after, like, I'm going through stuff and now I've been brought out of it. And that's when God's power is shown. No, God's power is shown when we are in the depths of our weakness, present tense. That's when God's sustaining grace meets us. But here's the last thing. It almost always, ish, meets us in the unexpected. 
God's provision is often ish unexpected. His response to Elijah, Elijah was ready to die, right? But he was cared for, then led to a mountain after 40 days and 40 nights on a journey. God met him there, and he chose not to speak through an earthquake or the wind or the fire, but a gentle whisper. And, and I highlight this uh, I think this is, this is super important, and we don't have time to, to get into all of the parallels, but the mountain that Elijah is on, Mount Horeb, is the same mountain as Mount Sinai. Same, same, uh, same mountain, just different, different titles. This happens to be the same mountain that God met Moses, another messenger of God, And how did God meet Moses on the very same mountain? This comes from Exodus 19, 16 through 19. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain. This is Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. And a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently like an earthquake. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. So we have these parallel stories of two messengers of God being met by God, but not in the same way. And I I think that's important for us to to understand. God's gracious provision can be unexpected, or rather, it's not always formulaic. Just because one person was going through a similar situation, got this provision, doesn't mean that the second person going through the same stuff is going to get the same provision. His grace in his wisdom is likely going to look different. And I don't understand why, but that's a part of his understanding his wisdom and his prerogative to extend his grace on his people differently and often in unexpected ways. Uh, I kind of thought through uh, uh, just a a number of things throughout the Bible of, it's like when people are weak, how did God show up? Uh, Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 when they had Isaac. Moses had a speech impediment, but became the voice of to demand that Pharaoh let God's people go. The Israelites wandered the desert for 40 years being provided with this bread-like stuff called manna that showed up every morning. When Jesus uh, teaches us to pray for our daily bread, he's invoking that kind of understanding. Daily grace, daily bread, because that's what the Israelites had for provision. Ruth, was a foreigner and an outcast whose husband had died, but was eventually led back to Boaz, okay? Who not only took care of her needs, her and Naomi's needs, but ended up marrying her, becoming the great-grandparents to King David. David was a scrawny kid whose faith allowed him to challenge and defeat a giant with a sling and a stone. Esther, was groomed to become a concubine for a Persian king, but was then used by God to save her people from an impending slaughter, and she became Queen Esther. Our weaknesses, our insufficiencies, our inabilities often will highlight God's grace so that his power, his character is put on Display that he's made much of and we're made less. 
that anytime that we get to share stories, our own stories, a lot of times it's pointing back to, look what God did through me. Look what God has done through all of these different characters in the Bible who were weak, and yet God met them where they were at. God is the central character of perseverance. God is the central character of perseverance. And our job is then to look to him who is able to provide abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. Knowing that he cares about us individually and intimately and say, your will be done. I trust. I don't know, but I trust. Uh, I had my own moment recently um, I mentioned I was going to come back to this. Uh, the, me and uh, two others, uh, two other buddies, were hiking the Superior Hiking Trail. We did about 31 miles, and around mile 24, my left knee just said, nope. I've never had trouble with my knees, um, but I was in tremendous pain, especially uh, going downhill, uh, descending the trail. And as humbled and even ashamed as I was, we were met, I was met with a, a daily bread, so to speak, a daily grace. Uh, we had just gotten to the bottom of a hill um, and I could barely walk. And, and one of my buddies just grabs my bag and just, just carries it the rest of the way. Uh, no questions asked. He just takes it. Uh, we turn a corner and the most serene campsite just like kind of like unveils itself it was like the pro it felt like the promised land okay we're surrounded by these massive cedar trees and off to the side was this rushing creek just in the middle of the superior national forest and it had this pool and so what we decided is we decided to sit in the pool and the cold water ended up actually allowing the swelling in my knee to go down such that we were able to, to hike a few more, few more miles after that. Um, that was my daily bread on that day. I didn't know that that was what I was going to need. I didn't know that my knee was going to give out on me. But that was, that was God's grace meeting my need uh, in that moment. And despite my... Uh, insecurities at being the weakest link. My friends never once made me feel lesser or incompetent. Um, rather, they encouraged and helped and supported, which ended up being another daily bread, just grace of, of just watching that, uh, how my friends kind of reacted uh, and helped me through. Whatever you might be going through, this is, this is as much as I know. Um, I know the answer can't be that, that God isn't powerful enough to fix it. He, he, has, he has all the power. Uh, it's not that he's not wise enough. Uh, it's not that he doesn't know how. Uh, it's not that he doesn't love you. I don't know what provision looks like, but I know that it can't result in any of those things being true. I know that the promise for us is the same as it was for Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient. I'd like to, to share a video uh, that I think really shows a, a compelling expression of what God's grace can look like um, in the midst of weakness and, and even failure. Uh, Louis Capaldi, any Louis Capaldi fans? No? One. We got one. Yes. Okay. Louis Capaldi is a Scottish singer and songwriter. Uh, he's had number one hits, and for all intents and purposes, he is at the top of of his career as a performer. Uh, two things recently happened for him, uh, actually this summer. 
He played the Glastonbury Music Festival in England. I'm getting a head nod from Rachel. <laughs> Maybe not, all right. Okay, he played this music festival to an absolutely massive crowd. Like beyond, uh, just even in the video, beyond what I could understand. Uh, but two, he was recently diagnosed with Tourette's, uh, which is a, a neurodevelopment disorder that causes uncontrollable tics um, and bodily movements. And during the performance, uh, Louis Capaldi has an episode that actually renders him unable to sing and perform the song. Um, but what I want you to pay attention to is how the crowd responds. So go ahead, Aaron. absolutely beautiful picture of grace. It reminds me of Zephaniah 317, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Undeserved favor. The crowd not only saw and noticed and knew what was happening, they end up singing his own song back to him. And did you catch how he just, he just stood there and received it? 
the song gets performed arguably in a much, much, much more powerful way than it ever could have. That's what God's grace and his provision can look like. Now I know, I know, I know any analogy is going to break down, but I do know that God always gives us what we need, sometimes more, but certainly never less. The, the world would have us believe, if we think back to what Paul said, the world would have us believe that the best thing possible is to have the thorn removed. And that might be true. I don't know. But other times, oftentimes, through his grace, through the enabling power of the Spirit and an unexpected provision, we are given the strength to endure the thorn. We can be confident that God's grace is sufficient to help us in our need, and it's often unexpected and no more unexpected than Jesus. We have to land here uh, if we're going to talk about unexpected grace. For those of us that have, have been around um, for any amount of time in church, I think this unexpectedness of Jesus can fizzle. Uh, but no one, no one, no one, no one, no one, no one ever expected God's grace to be ultimately expressed in the second person of the triune God coming down from heaven to earth, taking on frail humanity, living a perfect life, dying the death that was deserved to us, rising from the dead. All of that screams unexpected, but it screams one, two, and three as well. Friends, all of this is pointing to Jesus. As a result, living under the grace of God instead of a, a sense of duty, a sense of shame, a sense of performance, I need to, to do X, Y, Z so that God will look upon me with favor. Okay, That's not how grace works. We've covered that. So living under the grace of God frees us from any self-serving motivation to try to earn God's love and God's favor. We cannot do anything to earn his favor, but he extends it to us anyways. And perseverance, just like anything else, is met with grace. Our failures are met with grace. Our questions and doubts are met with grace. Our daily lives are met and sustained by God's grace. And we are to then recognize it, recognize his daily bread, his daily grace. Receive it and say thank you. I'd like to introduce uh, Carolina Sandel Berg. She's a Swedish poet and hymn writer uh, living in the mid 1800s. Um, she had been writing uh, since she was a, a teenager, um, but then had. Uh, something happened uh, uh, mid-20s. She was in a boat with her dad, and a wind came up, and she watched her dad tip over the side and drown. And as a result, this is what she penned. Day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my father's wise bestowment, I've no cause to worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives, us, uh, gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Every day the Lord himself is near me with a special mercy for each hour. All my cares he fain would bear and cheer me he whose name is counselor in power. The protection of his child and treasure is a charge that on himself he laid. As thy days, thy strength shall be in measure. This is the pledge to me he made. 
Help me then in every tribulation so to trust thy promises, O Lord, that I lose not faith's sweet consolation offered me within thy holy word. Help me, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting, ere to take, as from a father's hand, one by one, the days, the moments fleeting, till I reach the promised land. I, I, I can't imagine what she was going through. But these words are a consolation to me because they remind me and they point me back to a God who provides that I can trust because he is trustworthy and I can put faith in because he has been faithful throughout all generations. I'd like to invite the, the worship team, come on up. And we're gonna transition back into uh, a time of, of singing uh, and, and response. This is, this is intentional that we build to this moment uh, that we sing and we, we hear the, the good news of Jesus in his grace such that we can respond. Uh, from the message today, I have a few questions for us to ponder. Have you accepted God's grace for you, not only in salvation, but for your daily needs? The daily bread. How might you become more aware of God's grace and provision? What does your daily bread look like? How can you invite others into the process of persevering? We are certainly not meant to do this alone. And thanks, thanks be to God that, that he has given us a community, a church to share burdens with. Who can you invite others into that process? And then who in your life might need to hear about a God whose grace is sufficient for all things. Uh, different ways that we'll be able to, to respond. We're going to have a few songs. Uh, and during uh, any of the songs, you'll have the option to, to go back in the lobby and, and take communion, which is another expression of grace. Uh, we don't ask you to, to be a member of this church or any church. Uh, but we would ask that you be a follower of Jesus uh, to have accepted his free gift of salvation and grace. Uh, and if you haven't done that, uh, th this could be the time that, that you do that. Uh, we'll have people in the back uh, kind of by both doors uh, that if you'd like prayer, even if it's just, here's my name and I'd like for you to pray for me. You don't have to share anything. They just do a general prayer. Uh, they'd love that opportunity. Um, and then give. Giving is a response out of a generous God who's given so much in the way that he provides for us. How might we then be able to respond in giving uh, of ourselves? Uh, you can give online uh, if you'd like to do that uh, monetarily, as well as we, we do have an offering box uh, on that table out there. Uh, I'm going to pray. We'll get into it. Yeah. Father God, grateful for the stories like Elijah that point us back to you, the one who is a provider, the one who is big, uh, the one who is wise and powerful and knows us intimately and loves us fiercely. And that your grace meets us no matter where we are, but especially in times of need. Uh, I pray for our church. There is a lot of hurting, a lot of pain. And God, I pray that your grace would sustain us through that to to give us the ability to endure the thorns. That we would trust in your goodness, your power, your righteousness, your justice, your mercy, your love. I would trust you because you are trustworthy. 
that we would have faith in you, increase our faith in you because you have proven to be faithful. Lord, be, uh, be with us here now. Remind us of your presence uh, here today in our hearts and our minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.